from daily review and this is mike from pop culture review and this is the avenue 5 podcast tonight we're hitting you with a double episode double double we're covering episodes 8 and the season finale episode 9 that is this is physically hurting me and eight arms but no hands how are you doing paul i'm doing great westworld has started i'm really charged up about westworld <laughs> I, I gotta tell you i loved 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 the season premiere of westworld very stylish had new characters, twists on old characters, really satisfying beginning. Had a real reboot vibe to it. I know you guys talked about this in, in your episode, which I listened today, and you guys should all go listen to the Westworld podcast up on Pod Clubhouse. But I, and I know uh, you and Will and Kristen talked a little bit about it. You could have watched last night's episode, never had seen a season one or season two episode, and been able to understand what was going on. Maybe we're just, you know, because we come in with the benefit of having watched the first two seasons. But in some ways, I thought that last night's episode was more consumable than the pilot in terms of being able to just watch it and get it. If you've watched the show, then you you got a deeper meaning out of it. But if this was your first entry uh, versus, say, in, coming into season two, watching the first episode is it season two with the, the washing up on the shore and, all that, and, you're like, and the time jumping in, like, what the fuck is happening? Like right. this was, this was clean. This was straightforward action. No weird time loops, like mystery. It just feels like it's something you're going to learn as the season goes on, not necessarily something that you needed to know beforehand. So I, right. I, I appreciated it, that. For... It was more like a thriller, but sort of like a Mission Impossible movie. Like there's a lot of details there, but it all gets finished by the end. <laughs> and everyone looks so stylish. The women, holy shit, they, their wardrobe upgrade, the, the, <laughs> the flipping dress, uh, Hall in that awesome suit she's wearing. And then you got Maeve in that, the, 1940s world war ii garb like their their wardrobe budget after the milkmaid outfit and all the and you know tandy newton being basically nude for two years or two seasons uh yeah they really skyrocketed the budget money well spent girls looked good women getting it done but that's not what we're here to talk about paul no not that we no. want to talk about this other awesome show haven't you fun you know, we've kind of been up and down. I think we've liked more episodes as the season went on, but overall the show is a little uneven for us. How did you feel generally about these final two episodes? The eighth one, the This Is Physically Hurting Me, somehow was perfectly timed to come out in a nation <laughs> and a world that was battling with this idea of is something a hoax or not? And having to confront the the truth of the matter. I don't know how they managed to do that. I'm sure it was just commentary on the stupidity of people in general, but they managed to time it in a time when there are actually stupid people that don't believe that we're in the middle of a, of a global health crisis. I, I think you're right. Uh, it's just uncanny timing. But even without the coronavirus pandemic going on right now, this works because we've become a society that just views everything through like a reality TV show lens. The idea that this would catch fire was totally believable to me. The annoying VFX girl, the, the Barb and Mike, the parents of the coma, coma kid. These are real people that I interact with on social media, that I <laughs> meet in my life. You know, right. like, these people are out there. It's all a conspiracy. What? What? Like, the show's already killed, like, four people before this, you know? I, I thought it was a great commentary just kind of on the state of, well, at least our country anyway. A little commentary on, I guess, uh, the people of the future in the, what's the girl's name? The VFX girl? I think her know. name is Jaden. Jaden, yes. Jaden, even today, well, you could assume that movie technology advances to some really high pinnacle at, at that point when it's just 
you know, you can't tell it from, from real life whenever you're watching, whatever movies are at that point. She seemed completely unbelievable. <laughs> right in in that even now she seemed like she didn't know what she was talking about but she still was the ringleader of the entire defection <laughs> right so me and doug are these passengers who are annoying but they're not stupid they're not incompetent they're just annoying but Jaden, the vfx woman and barb and uh mike the the weirdo parents on the cruise with the coma kid yeah they are the internet trolls they are the ones who rabble rouse they're the ones who are on reddit just throwing fire bombs of stupidity he says that you know ryan says at the top of episode nine you know seven people just you know stupided themselves to death yeah, right. and but that's that's where we are paul that's our reality and that's terrifying i will say she kept saying you know vfx stands for visual effects and then he st- he says, you think this is a uh, visual fucking effects? And she's like, well, the F doesn't stand for fucking. It doesn't stand for effects either. It's just, like, you know, it's, effects starts with an E, you fucking dimwit. So I, I thought that was funny. Uh, yeah, was she was catch. super annoying. Yeah. Did you catch the pop culture reference in this one? The future prediction? Yes. I did. I did not on my first viewing, actually. Um, on my second viewing, I caught it and uh, I, I made my little note. Sadly, something is going to happen to Greta Gerwig, it seems, Paul. <laughs> something that earns its way into a true crime podcast where armchair quarterback types investigate as best they can the details of a given crime and try to sort things out. And there's usually sort of a unsolved or unresolved nature to those kinds of crimes. Do you listen to true crime podcasts? I don't. I don't. I know some people that are very big into it. It's not my my bailiwick. Yeah, I don't know what the success rate is. You know, Serial really made the map. I, I think Serial is a big reason for the rise of podcasts. Uh, but I think ultimately they did not get that guy sprung, even though they raised serious doubts about his conviction. I think that's how that went. But I think ultimately he did not get out, though. Hmm. Did you watch the Jurassic World, the first Jurassic, no, the second Jurassic World reboot, where uh, the podcasters come to the park and they end up getting eaten by the dinosaurs? I saw that... I saw the first Chris Pratt one. Is that the one? No, that actually, I'm not, I, I might not be thinking of, that's not a Jurassic World. That's actually a human that kills them. What movie am I thinking of? <laughs> oh, it's the Halloween. That was what it was. It was Mike Myers. It was the Halloween reboot that came out what, last year or the year before. I did and, see uh, that with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, yes, yes. They're true crime podcasters. They go to the prison or the psych hospital where Mike Myers is, and they end up getting killed in a, in a spectacular way. Like a little, a little commentary on the rise of true crime, uh, Monday morning quarterbacking journalists looking into... Uh, cold cases podcasters are really taking it on the chin in pop culture right now yeah but you know what everyone fucking listens to them though everyone <laughs> listens to podcasts and yeah. but, you know they've definitely become this this source of ridicule because i think they're so ubiquitous what did you think of ryan getting fired and then really leaning into it even removing his hairpiece which was fucking disturbing really really disturbing <laughs> i've watched that stupid episode like three times now and actually that it's, it's actually okay i actually kind of enjoyed it by by the third viewing but that argument felt completely forced like plot wise like they had been in arguments this whole time he wasn't on drugs all he was he was just disputing that fact and that was enough to get him fired so it felt forced but i mean i had to live with it that was the plot they went with i didn't enjoy that part of it because it just felt like how did you get all the way to mutiny i mean he's been talking to you 
this whole time. And well, he admitted to to getting the sedatives for Judd, which I thought was weird that he came that he he spilled the tea on that so fast. You know, he basically confessed to getting the drugs to knock his boss out, and he's admitting it to his boss. He says, you know, I got it to knock you out, and then he then he brings then he drags Iris into it as being part of the conspiracy. And right? Stuff. Yeah, she lies. She lies in a great way. Yeah, but Ryan rolls on the whole fucking thing real fast, which is I think what ultimately gets him fired. It worked for me because it because it's kind of like a slow boil. Because could you imagine working for Judd every day? Just listening to that every day. I've worked in a very small office before where I was reporting directly to the boss, the owner. He would just change from day to day. Just one day, what you're doing was great. The next day, we're thinking about firing you. I have worked, not quite Judd, but someone who definitely believed that he shat gold and everything he said was was quotable. And I would not want to do it again. I've had a list of bosses in my life that if not for alcohol, I don't know that that person would still be alive and be not in prison or be <laughs> me being alive. You know, I, I, you know, when you're, especially in the legal field, you, you tend to deal with a lot of big egos, if you can imagine. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I actually thought of you because I thought you would be really able to sympathize with Billy trying to teach Ryan how to use the computer. I don't know. I watched that scene and I was like, I feel like Paul probably has this experience where you know just teaching monkeys to 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 use computers that phrase this is physically hurting me is something i've either said or heard said relating to computer usage it's it's the act of wanting to just move the mouse for somebody else because they're just not getting it they're double clicking instead of single click or some basic thing like that the restraint that you have to perform on your own body that's what physically hurts is like not <laughs> it's like needing to step in but not stepping in so yes you thought right i have felt that I, it made me laugh when uh, ryan says to billy can i push the button now and she says, just without missing a beat, she says, I'm beginning to wonder if you can. You know, just <laughs> the inability to remember even basic steps. Like I just said, you go green first, then red first. And then it, like a minute later, he's like, all right, so red first? No! Yes, very familiar. What did you think of Spike being made captain in uh, Ryan's stead? I, that was a really fast promotion for old Spike getting behind the wheel. Uh, Judd did not waste any time with that promotion. If you're out of spacemen... And you need kind of a figurehead type person and you've experimented with listening to Billy deal with people. I guess Spike, having been a legit astronaut, is, is your is your only option, right? I mean, he's has some idea of what guiding a spaceship is supposed to look like. Or he feel has, like. Yes. He, he picks up right away that there's something wrong with the ship that's not responding to his controls. I was actually impressed like that. He He's not just a MILF hunting. He actually does seem to know something. Twisting. Blue, balloon animal making thought it was pretty funny i i like how he even wanders into the engineering lair which may may be the cum clubhouse according to billy yes but uh and him and and judd judd doesn't still doesn't seem to really get that there's this whole fraggle rock city of engineers that are really making this ship go it's shocking it's shocking that they've been able to keep it up but in a really believable way the way they've you know kind of drawn the season out yeah i sit there and i go how did i not know but then, yeah, I guess they wouldn't know. Right. It seems like Judd would know. But, yeah, those other two, it wouldn't come up. Yeah, no. you know, you would think Judd would know. But then I, I think back to, like, the beginning of the season where, 
you know, he didn't really appreciate that, like, Ryan was, like, a fake captain because, really, it was Joe, the the, astro, the, the engineer who dies in, like, the opening scene. Mm, yeah, excellent point. Uh, yes. He, he's really the one who knew everything. Judd, Judd seems to be kind of a absentee landlord, to use a devil's advocate uh, reference. That was your uh, Al Pacino? Hooah, boys alive! <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really my go-to Al Pacino. I know you don't drink very much, but have you ever had a hankering for a drink that you would just wander around a ship aimlessly or, or just wander around looking for quenching whatever the thirst was that you needed? Because I really appreciated the Bloody Mary emergency. I've had those moments where I've needed the Bloody Mary. If I'm parched, then yes. If I'm looking for a very specific kind of soft drink, what was the drink that you needed? Bloody Marys. I'm a big Bloody Mary guy. If if I'm drinking in the morning, if it's before noon and I'm drinking, it's, I'm, I'm probably drinking a Bloody Mary. This very much resonated with me, the need for a Bloody Mary. <laughs> this, it's just something about vodka and tomato juice with a little pepper and a little Tabasco sauce. Mm, it's good for your sinuses. It's healthy. It's a good source of vitamins. It really is just nature's drink. Sounds like you've, you've really thought this out. You know, I watched this episode three times because I fell asleep twice watching episode eight, sadly. But I made it to the Bloody Mary part every time. And every time I, I just nodded along with Spike looking so sad, you know, and I appreciated Matt trying to help him out here. But like, okay, so you're a soft drink guy, though, but are, are you a Coke or a Pepsi guy? Generally, Coke products. I'm, I'm well versed in like root, and cr- root beers and cream sodas. Sure. Does it annoy you because... I'm like, I'm a Diet Coke guy. If I'm going to drink soda, I drink Diet Coke. And I don't like regular Coke at all. I think it's disgusting. And I don't like Pepsi products. I, I just think they taste funny compared to Diet Coke, like Diet Pepsi. Is that an issue for you when you go to restaurants that it just it just doesn't do? Or do you just suck it up? And We really only worry about running into Pepsi products when we head north. It's a It's kind of a rarity to find a franchise or a chain that has gone in with the Pepsi crowd. It's mostly Coke country down here. Interesting. Well, I guess that yeah. makes sense, right? They're based out of Georgia. So yeah, they've really saturated the market. There, You'll find Pepsi or even more bizarrely, RC at kind of strange locations like sports stadiums. Last time I was at the Cotton Bowl, like their cola of choice was RC cola. <laughs> well, the, the the New York Mets, sadly, the baseball team that I root for has always been an RC cola partner. Actually, I mean, RC is kind of a good now, su- switch up. <laughs> it's change. not bad. It, it, it just tastes like soda. You know, so Coke tastes like Coke to me. Pepsi tastes like Pepsi to me. RC Cola just tastes like soda to me. Like, like store brand. Yeah. You know, like something you get at like Sam's Club, right? They could have just switched the label out and, you know, I would have been like, oh, that is just soda. <laughs> now, straight up Pepsi. I'm okay with if I'm if I'm doing full strength soda. I'm I'm okay with Pepsi because it's because it's super sweet. And since I grew up uh, a portion of my life in the Midwest, uh, Pepsi was the thing in that neck of the woods. It reminds me of that, but Diet Pepsi tastes like a potion of some sort. You know, it does. It tastes very artificial. I mean, I guess Diet Coke does too, but I like Diet Coke, so I don't fucking care that it tastes fake. But Diet Pepsi though tastes like something made in a lab for sure. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. So if a VFX girl and Barb and Mike, the rubes of the ship, kind of assembled the kindling near the jettison uh, airlock, I think we have to say that it was really Matt that threw the match on it and just lit the whole thing up. What, what did you think of his weird life is a simulation talk? Did you get what he was trying to go for there? It seemed pretty clear to me that he was telling people to go kill themselves. <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) Back in art school, I finished my program right about the same time that The Matrix came out. So that's 1999, kids, for anyone that's 
counting. I don't know if you uh, remember that movie, but there's a certain, if you really wanted to dig in to the mythos of that movie, there's a certain element of questioning reality. Oh, yeah, sure. Does interpreting reality count, you know, the with it because you're experiencing it through your senses what happens if your senses say were replaced like they are in the matrix by just you know electrodes in your in your brain is it still reality because your eyes and your and your nose and your mouth and skin are all providing electrical impulses the same way as those simulated senses so who's to say what reality is right so i've kind of been in on those conversations like 20 years ago again i don't know that he was driving anyone to kill themselves i think he was having just an existential conversation because that's just matt he just like 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 we've said he's a nihilist and he says says things just to maybe stir the pot but not to get a specific reaction i wrote in my notes got lost in his existential metaphors uh, I, I think I think he just lost the thread of his narrative. I think the worst thing that he did wasn't even so much that he said. I think it was just that he gave the code out. You know, yeah. if, if you, you give a, a crazy person a loaded gun, the crazy person's going to use the loaded gun, even if they don't mean to. They can't help it. It's so attractive, the curl, the trigger, you're going to pull it. You give you give this group of people this mass horde mob mentality. I mean, remember, we're not that far from where it was VFX girl leading, blowing Frank out the airlock. You know, <laughs> it's the out. same woman. These people are primed. We had been guessing that it was going to be Karen that led them in revolt all season. Turns out it's fucking VFX girl and the rubes, Barb and Mike. I think Matt just, just gave them that fuel with his existential crisis that he seemed to be going through. Going back to the coronavirus parallel, which was completely unintentional, it's like the airlock was basically the directions given by the world experts. Do wash your hands and don't get close to people. That's how you're going to prevent the spreading. And then you see that video of that basketball player that like put his hands all over the microphones and like the press release, press room, you know? Mm -hmm. And he winds up having, <laughs> having the virus. It's not funny, but it is funny right like kind of in a literary sense not in a real human sense like a shot in fruit man you really brought that on yourself you, you really put some bad karma out into the world and it really bit you in the ass kind of way right it's kind of similar to this situation where it's like you've been given the keys to not kill yourself but but somehow you decide to to do it anyway and and you and you wind up freezing to death or being flash frozen this episode did a good job of just demonstrating the kind of counterculture reaction that we've all developed that someone in authority position says x y and z are, are good for you and a b and c are bad for you people just assume that it's bullshit or it's it's overhyped or it's it's some kind of fear-mongering and go and literally do the opposite thing it's a consistent lesson think of that grizzly man guy <laughs> like don't live with bears he lives with bears he dies it's like simple right, math, but, right? but then the, the really truly terrifying in those kinds of situations though is the segment of the population that sits and goes i, I didn't see that coming i'm shocked I don't, under, I don't right. understand how that happened. You know, like the guy licking the microphone, like his fans are probably like, I can't believe he caught the virus. I'm just, I'm fucking floored. I don't understand. Really? <laughs> right. Right. It's documented, people. <laughs> I want to get your ranking on the seven deaths as, as far as they affected you and or gave a shit about any of the people. But before that, there was a great Iris quote that I wanted to make sure I mentioned because okay. Iris, I think, has just gotten some of the great lines and I want to give her some props. So this is when uh, Ryan is trying to out her as being a conspirator in the sedative plot. I was talking to Judge. She says, uh, 
He's a junky fuck. He'd slash his nana's throat for an Advil. And she just knocked it out of the park. I loved it. Yeah, she had a, she had some good stuff. Like, you're using air quotes around people again. <laughs> Very good Does stuff. that drive you crazy when people do that? Like, when they when uh, you, you go, like, by a store and it says, we're having a sale with, like, air quotes? Does that kind of, like, oh, that, yes. does that bother you? All the time. I don't know who proofread these signs where people use them and, and assuming that the general populace knows why it's possibly in quotes. Quotes kind of suggest there's some element of, I don't know, like a quotation or um, maybe like a pseudonym or, or, or something involved there. I'm just seeing this sign for the first time. I have no backstory. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. You, yeah, right. Just, you, it's like it's a quote like the owner of the store said sale. And that's what they're capturing the sign, maybe. I don't know. But <laughs> right. I think I think people take it, though, as sarcasm. So I, I, for me, when I see, like, sale in quotation marks, I'm like, ah, that's not a fucking sale. They're, they're charging you the regular price of just calling it a sale. Like, that's that's how I take sale in quotation marks. Like, I always hear it as air quotes, like, a sale, like that. <laughs> it's like right. a written version. Let's, go, let's run through our seven stupid people that killed themselves and, and tell me if any of them really did anything for you or affected you. Really, only Sarah. Three of them were unnamed characters, so we could take those off. The ones yeah. who go out with uh, Sarah at the end, the other three were like, yeah. unnamed. So you had Sarah, who not only froze to death, but regretted it. She did not want to do it at, at the end, but it was too late. And then she had her hand smashed. Mm-hmm. That was dark and devastating. This entire back end I really enjoyed, but it was so, so dark. Just the constant airlock opening just the sound of the airlock opening and pushing open and then closing it just over and over and over again it was so it was so unsettling but i think it made me really like it though there's something very unsettling about dismemberment body horror like in horror movies when there's you know getting stabbed getting shot whatever that's that's like well you know maybe there's some recovery from that but you know when they rip your jaw off or something like that oh well, that's about it then you know it's <laughs> game over and it's very visceral kind of sticks with you and so this is a, for me that same sort of thing even though she's clearly dead, there's still kind of that moment. It's like, well, maybe they can microwave her right. or whatever. But no, yeah, that's 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 a non-starter. Well, yeah, man. when you start shattering the body, right? There's no there's no melting that person and bringing it back together. There's no Han Solo no. Uh, coming out of the the cryon freeze, um, like liquid the carbonite. Um, yeah, so Sarah loses her hand, and you know she was she she was a really fun character. I mean, of of the bridge crew, she was my favorite of the fake bridge crew. She was my favorite character by far. Oh, yeah. Mads and, and Nadia are barely characters, really. No, yeah. I mean, and Mads, uh, not, not to jump too far ahead, spoilers, but, you know, Mads, you know, finds himself on the outside looking in in the next episode. He's a little little too vain and boastful, as it turns out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I was happy to see Mike and Barb die, though I thought it was a little predictable, but really funny still that his son woke up from a coma right afterwards and was asking where his parents were. I thought that was, thought yeah. that was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Harris and ha- that that the message would come right to Ryan's watch. Yes, that he would get that information <laughs> immediately. That's what would be transmitted from Mission Control, where without Rav running it, uh, Rav who's in the shuttle with the uh, with the shuttle guy, uh, yeah, someone's going to transmit that message up to, uh, to to Ryan. But there you go. Um, but I was surprised that Harrison uh, bit the bullet, especially with the season two. Uh, he uh, he's such a good foil for Judd. He he makes Judd just you know piss himself. So I I'm kind of I think I'm going to miss him a little bit. Well, I thought given how much he seemed to terrify 
Judd that he should have been introduced much earlier, that he was basically um, a misused character. It's almost like they found out they could get Holy Wayne halfway through production and figured out that they could inject him somehow. But the sense of his character just emerging several days into the event just doesn't really make a lot of sense uh, narratively. But um, seeing him go doesn't seem, it seems like he would have been brighter than that, than than to be one of the first. <laughs> yes, he, he would not, he did not come off as one of the sheeple who no. would have thought that this really was a, a thing, especially that his only interaction wasn't just with Judd. You know, he had this kind of weird, ambiguous vibe with, with Ryan. You know, he interacted with, with other people in the series, uh, in the limited mm-hmm. time that we got to see him. So, yeah, it was a little weird. So I wonder if the actor was only around for maybe a couple of uh, episodes worth of shooting. They took him if they could, but I, I think I would have rather seen Harrison more of the season than some of the other people that we did get to see. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Doug saving Mia. <laughs> so there's more of them <laughs> to come. They're not going anywhere. But, you know, I, I think I think the show really did do a course correction, and I want to give it a lot of credit, reducing Karen all the time versus what it looked like the show was going to be at the beginning. And it really reduced Mia and Doug together in, in like the therapy sessions and just nagging at each other. Who the fuck wants to watch a married couple nag at each other in a comedy? So I think they made a really good decision by splitting them up. I think they made them each funnier, especially Doug. I think Doug and Spike was a really fun pairing throughout the back half of the season. And by reducing Karen's role, I think she was a lot more effective as the season went Mm -hmm. on. I enjoyed her more because there was less of her. That's enough of that because we got to get to episode nine, eight arms but no hands, and we pick up basically right where we left off. What did you think of this as a season finale, as the coup de grace of Avenue Five's first season? We did one of the things that we, I I hope we predicted, which was it just made the trip go longer. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure that was one of our predictions early on if they get to the season and the, at the end of the season and they think they've got more seasons to go then they're going to say that they, that they have a lot longer to go um maybe a listener would chime in and say no you guys never said that but for some reason that just seems like something we should we should have said if we didn't the whole season kind of playing back and forth with six you know three years six months three and a half years now now eight years at the end of the episode with the real like you know deuce ekbechina Really? You got the wrong airlock door? Like, you didn't think to check with the ship person about which door was important or not? Even Ryan understood the physics of what they were it's trying to do. basic shitting. It's basic shitting. Even Mads. You know, I've seen the baby shit, Karen. I, you know, I've seen the diapers. <laughs> they shit up the back. That I actually really liked that bit. I actually liked this episode, Paul. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, I did. I The whole Scooby-Doo, Betty Hill, Three Stooges bit kind of at the end where they were all together, which was really the first time we all had them, the whole cast all together, the core cast. I really like the rapid fire take around at, at the end there. And it really kind of sold the whole episode for me. I actually did like this one. I like this one enough that I would watch it again. I guess that's the barometer I should be using. Oh, I had a belly laugh when you mentioned uh, Doug and uh, Spike being assigned together. Ryan says he's lamenting his pairings. And he he says they're probably blowing each other in a doorway. Yes. That whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. I, I also laughed at hard like that. And I really like that whole scene because Ryan really took charge, which is something you and I have talked about, you know, where, you know, every now and then Ryan would really show the leadership still doesn't know his ass from his elbow as a captain goes, 
but really does have a charismatic leader quality about him that we got little peaks of throughout the season. Yeah. And this episode, it was really on full blast, you know, and that and that he's self-aware enough to realize when the adrenaline, you know, winds down a bit that, man, those were shit pairings I came up with. But yeah, the Doug and Spike blowing each other really made me laugh. I guess that when he realizes that he can't be the guy on the shuttle, that's pretty captain-y behavior, wouldn't you say? Yeah. He can't just abandon them because then they truly have no one to steer the ship. They flirted with this idea of, is Ryan a good guy or a bad guy or a bad guy pretending to be a good guy all season? I've always felt like he was was a good guy. He was just kind of sad and broken and kind of a loser. I thought he always actually had kind of a good heart. It, it was kind of, that's just how, maybe it's Hugh Laurie. There's something, I think, innately likable about him. But I was glad to see that they did that, though. You know, that it didn't even get as far as he he left the station and then realized he had to come back. But I really didn't know how they were going to play that out. I mean, they kept, they kept, you know, it's it part of this this rotating thing, this bit that they were doing where everyone was going into the chair in the cockpit. I was as surprised that it ends up being Iris stuck on the ship as anyone else. Oh, yeah. I, for a second there, I was pretty sure that uh, the comedian, the the least important one of the characters, would be the one to, taken away from the cast. Yeah. I mean, he got on there twice. He got on there twice. He really wanted to go. And he said that really mean thing about Billy's laugh being a little too loud and she needed to work on it. I thought that was really fucking mean of him. Like, you're 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 like one heartbeat above like being dead and you're making fun of her laugh. I don't know, buddy. <laughs> I think count yourself lucky that she got this, that you spent any time with her at all. But there's a great argument that Jordan goes, right? He's the least important of that char- of those characters. But also, mm-hmm. you know, Josh Gad can't be cheap. Hugh Laurie can't be cheap. I guess the other ones are all probably relatively cheap, but you know, like those are like big ticket items. It's not, I don't think we're going to see very much Anthony Hopkins in this season of Westworld or Ed Harris. <laughs> I think we're going to see them a little bit, but I don't think we're going to see them a lot because they're fucking expensive. Right. And, H- and HBO is a big, deep pocket, big budget channel. And so there was a part of that that was like, well, maybe they are, they are going to put them into some kind of, you know, reserve player status for next season maybe they are the ones who go home yeah were you surprised that it was iris of of anyone definitely because she has such an important with judd that no one no one else comes close to to matching uh no one else has the motivation to to be so subservient to such a buffoon Uh, i mean matt we've mentioned kind of plays with it but matt might be a totally different guy next season given you know his his, his crisis that he went through just, just now in this episode. Matt was a really interesting character at the end of the day. I think from episode one, you and I talked about how his character was the most reliably funny. He was the reason I kept watching this show at all, other than doing this podcast, uh, in the early episodes, because uh, he's the one who just made me out and out laugh every episode. I'd say somewhere about the middle of the season, they really started to kind of break him down a bit. You know, you started to see the wear and tear on him more than anyone else. It started with his advertisements where, where you really saw it, where he started really ripping on, you know, dr- you know, go to happy hour because, you know, your dad won't be there. He never is. The broken <laughs> marriage stuff. But like in a real like sad sack kind of way, they yeah. did like a job, I thought, of breaking Matt slowly over the course of the season, culminating with the end of episode eight and now through episode nine, where he kind of runs away. And, you know, and maybe he's going to kill himself or maybe he's just hungry. What did you think of Matt running away at that break and how they resolved it? They resolved it pretty quickly. For one, I wondered how he had the time to assemble that Sarah shrine in his quarters with the repeating video of her greeting you to the bridge or whatever. And and he would say, I'm sorry, Sarah, all that. Yeah. Is that 
Is that what I understood it to be? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it was definitely his voice, so it was definitely something he had edited in. But he had a whole shrine going on there to people on this ship. It's a mm-hmm. little, you know, if he had three names, if he went by, like, three, like, you know, Matt, Billy, Bob, Smith, he might be a serial killer. The little hobbit hole that he had going there with the pictures on the walls of everyone. It was a little creepy. Did they find, like, makeup in the drawers and... <laughs> That's right. What is it? The Steve Buscemi and uh, Billy Madison making the list yes. of people he's going to kill. He's right. like, boy, am I glad I called that guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I, I was, it was interesting. But then it, but then they kind of, they sell themselves out. They actually had something really going and they had it. it was, I thought it was pretty interesting uh, what they were doing with it. And then he was just, you know, at the vending machine. The clues were just that he, his belly was hungry. <laughs> I didn't think it was a suicide thing at the beginning when he when he says, I thought that he was going into hiding. So they do this whole suicide thing, but then he confirms that no, he was just going into hiding. I felt pretty reasonable that he wasn't reasonably sure that he was not suicidal. No. He was just sad with what he had done. No, I, I think the whole suicide thing was funny only because it showed how self-aggrandizing everyone else is that they each felt responsible for driving him to suicide for what they said to him. And that each of them thought if they reached out to him, they would be the one to like bring him back. He's kind of like Loki, Loki the trickster god. Matt doesn't give a fuck about any of these people. Not really. He just wants to make himself laugh and watch the world burn. I think he feels bad. I think he feels like it went a little too far. Which of the pairings made you laugh the most? So you had Spike and Doug. Yep. Doing their thing. You had Ryan and Judd, which was interesting. They 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 really kind of made them uh, an equals buddy buddy thing in the last couple episodes. After they got over, Ryan was not really fired. They kind yeah. of made them equals that could work together. Like Judd could be a human being to Ryan, which is an interesting side of Judd that we don't really get to see with anyone else. Then you have Frank, Mia, and Mads, and then you have Billy, Jordan, and Nadia. Did any of those pairings stare out to you or their their various searching styles, which were very varied? Well, I mean, Doug and uh, Spike were amusing because they seemed to be like 10-year-olds and the way that they approached the problem with code names and such, Cobra, yeah. etc. So that was all amusing. I thought the the conversation between Judd and Ryan was probably the snappiest and funniest. I mean, it had the the blowing each other comments, so that's like definitely a high water mark for for humor for me. You know, blowing humor is just just tops, I guess. Yeah, it's like and, it's like poop jokes. I mean, those are right, like top right. echelon. Never get tired of those jokes. The least interesting was the Jordan Billy Nadia group. Billy only comes alive for me one when she's with Ryan because I yes. think I think. I think he's the only one that she has any interest in. She, he's the only one that makes her heartbeat a little bit faster or, or you know, really have any interest in. Or if she's being, you know, put down by the mat, by the mass mob or, or somehow, you know, being made to feel like put on the side. And then you get to see her like her back gets up and, you know, she, she starts acting superior. With her and Jordan, it's like watching like a Stepford wife almost. It's almost like she knows it, though. Because she knows that she'd rather be doing something else, but something is still interesting about Jordan. But if if anything more interesting came along, then she'd go to the, go do that. Yeah, and and we I mean we saw that two episodes ago, right? When she's in the lounge and she she passes up Ryan's offer to sit at the captain's table, she goes with Jordan, but immediately leaves him as soon as she has an epiphany from watching Ryan storm out when he pushes his chair back as he stands up. Do you give a shit about the Mia Mads thing at all in any way, shape, or form? Since Mads has been barely even as uh, having a speaking part in this whole whole show 
it seems more like he's a passing fancy of, of Mia's. I think Mads was just the guy that most checked her boxes when she was trying to sexually get her frustrate. boxes checked. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> when she was trying to get those boxes checked and, and make Doug feel bad about it. You know, if Doug wasn't there when Mads was there for him to, like, hook up with, for her to hook up with, I don't think, you know, Mads just happened to be the warm body around. You know, it could have been Jordan if Jordan had played his cards right. So who knows? I did think it was funny how they all met up. It was a very Scooby-Doo detective search, you know, with mm-hmm. the groups. And then they all kind of run into each other in the conference room. And then they get into the slap fight over over Mia. But it was the lamest slap. Have you ever been into a slap fight or some kind of fist fight over a woman before, Paul? No, no. I've managed to steer clear of that kind of thing. Is the, this something you have experience with? No. I've only been in one physical fight my entire life. And it was at the defense of a group of young ladies' honor, but it was also in first grade. A, a boy was picking on a girl, one of which, a, gr- a group of three girls, one of which I thought was very pretty. And I told him to leave them alone, and he wouldn't. And so I kicked him in the balls, and he fell on the ground, and then I walked away and I didn't even say anything to the girls. That was the only physical altercation I've ever been in my life. Ball kicking is a solid move in first grade. I'm a, I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. I'm built for comfort, not for speed. Like it was, <laughs> it was the go-to arsenal. Even at 42, it would probably be my still go-to move. I don't need to punch you in the face to prove my manhood. I'm going to kick you in the balls. I'm not there to prove something. I just want to end the fight and not get hurt. All right. They're going to report you to the street fighting authorities. Your honor is of dubious measure. Ball kicking. If it was permissible to walk around with a shank, I would probably walk around with a shank just in case, you know, defensive, a defensive shank. If you're going to attack me in the street, I'll bite you and I'll draw blood. So I don't care. You might check the uh, Texas laws on that. We had we had some laws <laughs> loosen up the, the normal civilian's ability to carry and use certain melee weapons <laughs> that you might find amusing. Really? Yes. Interesting. Things like brass knuckles and maces, that, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Man, it's been a while since I held a good mace in my hand. It makes me nostalgic for my 20s, my uh, medieval night phase. Renaissance Fair Festival? Yeah, exactly. When I would dress up in, uh, you know, spun wool, brown rough sack wool and no underwear with my mace and my staff. But I, I, I fear, I fear, and I think any guy, if you asked him, his fear would be if he was to get into a physical altercation, especially in front of the woman that he loved or lusted after, that it would look like this fight between Doug and Mads. It was just the saddest, saddest fight that they were on the ground rolling around and really just slapping at each other. It was really pathetic. Mads tries that that reverse kick. It's the slowest looking thing. And, oh! And catches it and it's just, yeah. It reminds me of, uh, of an Onion article that I saw a while ago. You really only need to read Onion headlines. The articles aren't really super funny normally. But the, but the headline was, local man 5,000% less effective in fight than he thought he would be. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. I did Taekwondo. Uh, so much of the sparring that you do, especially at, at our age, is at that speed. So again, this is an example of, I have received a kick like that in like training-wise. I've seen that big lumbering old man kick coming around. I've probably dealt a little bit of it too. But yeah, not when you're trying to impress the woman. That's not what you, that's not your best foot forward. You should just kick him in the balls. I think because you end a fight quickly. Maybe it's not impressive. Maybe it's not like, wow, he really overpowered that guy. But you end it quick. And I think at least speed in that context is not a bad thing. Maybe you'll be lucky enough to get to put that to, to the test. This is a contest we're running. If we're doing this show next season, we're going to have Mike fight for your honor contest. <laughs> 
we'll, we'll go on or maybe we'll do like a live broadcast at a con somewhere and like i'll kick people in the balls for love or something you know like a like a reverse like a modern kicking like a kissing booth except for a kicking booth love or something love or something i mean really not much else to go on until we get to the final scene of the episode what didn't you like about the end scene where they were all crowded together i think what i didn't like was what you liked which is the benny hill switcheroo nature of the who's in the shuttle now kind of thing it was i guess it was like musical chairs to see who would be there when paul the pilot finally presses the second button (laughs) he was really really concerned about that second button in the end the second button was really a point of no return yeah that's an important button for all that he kept talking about the second button i don't think he really conveyed how important it was (laughs) no in not being able to stop the process once you have pressed the second button i thought that the part with cyrus showing up with joe's parts was gross but Maybe a little too understated under the wackiness of the musical chairs bit, because it was in that where he basically conveys that the condition that they got the hands back in was unusable. Like they couldn't do what they wanted to do with the hands, if I understood what he said correctly. Did you get that meaning? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that was right. So that's why they needed Ryan to stick around right and you know i like joe coming back one because it was actually a pretty good callback to the beginning of the show and we really haven't heard about joe since then i think he's maybe mentioned twice the entire show since since uh, the beginning of the show but i like that ryan kind of put his foot down and they all seem to respect it that once it came out that joe's parts were unusable that he insisted that whoever took the seat in the pot in the shuttle return joe to earth I, I, I found that oddly touching that he would have loyalty and he referred to Joe as like his only friend, which makes sense. He was the one who hired him to do this gig. Did that strike you in any kind of way? Or It seemed actually genuine. Not that Ryan has been disingenuous, but it, but it felt like um, an actual, an actual, I guess, emotion that was not driven out of just frustration or fear or, or most of what has been at the core of why he's needed to act this season this was actually like this is the right thing to do kind of motivation and that mm-hmm. when it's all said and done i like a show even if it's a show that's a comedy like a 30 minute comedy if if you can get me some kind of character development show me some kind of three-dimensional rendering of them i'm gonna like your show more because i'm gonna feel a little more invested in those characters i never cried when cartoons would get bludgeoned because they were these these 2d cartoons that i didn't have any attachment to TV shows often have one no characters. I don't care if bad things happen to them. I don't, you know, because I don't care about them. But you make me care about the character, I'm, I'm going to be a little emotionally invested. And I think the show did a good job with Ryan and did a good job with Matt at the end of the day of making me kind of care about these guys, that they weren't just buffoons of different stripes. I, at the end of the day, is, is did you feel that the show did these guys, these characters a service and did any stand out for you as, as good TV characters? Yeah, by the end of it, I can't disagree with Ryan and Matt being the most compelling, watchable characters. Like, Judd, we felt right away. I mean, there was absolutely no change there. There was the same guy from day one. And at that point, I think we agreed something to the effect of that it was just sort of overdone. Like, his whole fragile genius thing we'd seen it before and 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 josh gad was kind of being underused and not not as totally funny as he as he could be in that role so i don't know who else i would i would pick i mean the the billy was was interesting but she was it was like she was intentionally limited to this secondary role where we thought that she might come forward but she 
but they pretty well kept her right where she was at Ryan's side. Not much more than that. Matt, you know, went on a little journey. It was kind of saved up to the end, but, and, and Ryan's been changing throughout. So those two are the most watchable for me. What about you? Uh, no, I think they were the most watchable. I had high hopes and I know you and I talked a lot about this in episode two, when Iris and Billy's had such strong, uh, they both had strong episodes. And I think you and I were willing to get really on board with Avenue five. If they were going to follow these two women in particular and really flesh them out because it seemed just in that one episode, it seemed like they had so much potential. I think while we saw different shades of Iris, you know, sometimes she would stand up to Judd. Sometimes she wouldn't. Most times she wouldn't. Most times she would just kind of mumble under her breath. I don't think we ever really got the development with her that I felt like we were promised. And I think would have been really interesting. And the same with Billy. There's a lot there. And I just, they just didn't do enough with it. And that makes me sad. So, you know, I wish we would have gotten so much more of them, you know, even if it meant reducing the number of cast. I don't need this show to be a large cast ensemble of, of characters that have to get screen time every week. Give me four, five characters tops and really devote some time to them and develop them. That's that's a show that you're going to actually make me want to watch like enthusiastically. Yeah, they, I mean, the the potential for those two is is just brimming. It's right there. They are the most capable people on the ship, hands down. Maybe that's why they're not getting <laughs> developed because then it would be too obvious about what should be done. They sh- Everything should be, the, the hard executive decisions should be left up to Iris. The ship decisions should be left up to Billy. Maybe it'd be too obvious if they, you know, flesh them out more. But from what I can see, they're... They're the brains. Yeah, but I think I think there's other stuff, especially with Iris in that one episode where she she ends up having that moment, that kind of a quiet moment with was it Ryan, where like the work for the day had been done, and she talked about where she told a story about like her grandfather. She she gave some kind of like personal story that was like kind of like a real window into her, and I remember thinking that's really interesting. There's some there's something there other than just being a competent badass that that knows what she's doing and really should be running things. It just seems like there's an interesting person there. And the same with Billy. I mean, she's got a lot of social oddities about her. I want to know why, you know, give me something more than just that she's so career driven and, and an uber nerd to boot. You know, she's literally a rocket scientist. So she's socially awkward. I don't know. I feel like we almost have like a better understanding of like Cyrus you know, and his frat boy piggishness than we do Billy. <laughs> and, you know, Billy is like a core cast member. For season two, if, if we can give wish list, my season two request is that we get more of those. I'm assuming Susie Nakamura is not leaving the show, that they're going to find a way to bring Iris back. So my season wish, my season two wish is that we get more on those two. We, we flesh them out a little bit more. If you were had a genie to grant you one wish, what do you want to see Avenue 5 do? better or differently in season two i would say take a few more easy laughs than than they went for in this season keep the writing you know clever and all that but making jokes about uh guys blowing each other is also legitimately funny and you might as well put that stuff in more often than you did in this season i agree with the idea of developing those two women much further than they did maybe iris was you know move, removed to to insert rav into a more adversarial role with, within judd's organization like with if iris is actually gone he's still going to need that right hand because he can't really do anything by himself rav might be that person by default but she would be 
much different than than Iris because she's pissed about the way things went went on Earth. A few more cheap laughs and 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 do the do the strong women better than than they did them in this go around. Interesting to see how they filled the Sarah void. I don't think Nadia or Mads has a, a tenth of the interesting factor. I mean, this episode they really just made Nadia just this crying uh, yeah. this puddle, which was really funny when. Who, who is it that ends up saying, I think it's Cyrus? Someone ends up turning her and say, I don't even think Sarah even liked you even a little bit. <laughs> it was Mads. It was Mads. It was a real I cold never heard her say anything good about you. <laughs> yeah, it was a real cold slap across the face, but it made me laugh. Like, I, I think what worked for me at the end of the episode, and if this, if this is something I'm going to do in season two, it, it, I liked it because it was snappy and it, it didn't stick. So you had all these characters there. You have to service all of them. If you're going to put them in the scene, you have to give them something to do. They moved the dialogue. You know, one person set up the joke, another one took it down, then a third person set up a new one, and then a fourth person took it down. So they were just kind of round robining the the jokes while also doing the round robin within and out of the shuttle. I liked the frenetic pace of that. I don't know if I could deal with that all the time, but as an end of the season, end of the show bit, really, really worked for me. I, I guess we're saying that that it ended stronger than we felt like it started uh, overall. Uh, definitely. I agree with that. I don't know that I'll make this appointment TV when it returns. I'll watch the first episode of next season just to see what it looks like they retooled. I mean, they're obviously going to make changes. They're going to introduce new characters. There's 5,400 and like... 80 people that we still, uh, nine, 4,000, how many people on the ship? 5,000? Yeah, so there's like 4,980 people on the ship that we haven't met yet. Some big name person's going to come in. They're going to retool it. Rav's on board now. That was really funny. They did the little bit with Rav, Mia, and Doug for a little bit about the last time I saw you, you were kissing my neck. And that kind of <laughs> awkwardness, which they hadn't really done since the beginning of the season. It was a lot of, it was like Joe, it was a nice callback from the beginning of the season. That was a good way to wrap up the season. Anyway, back to your original question. I think I will definitely watch episode one of season two just to see what it looks like and then go from there well all right thank you guys for listening putting up with us ragging on the show if you really like the show sorry we ragged on it so much if you don't like the show i hope you've appreciated us ragging on it so much <laughs> right i hope you brightened up your your life <laughs> it's always nice when you listen to a podcast and especially for a show if you don't like it you hear someone ragging along with you that you know you're in your car fist pump and be like yeah that guy sucks Right. We, I hope we provided that for some people. Give our other Pod Clubhouse offerings a try. We're doing uh, Westworld currently. We have a, all of the Outsider all all done. If you want to catch up with that, now is a great time to binge the whole thing, as well as stuff coming out in the future. Yep, and we uh, we still got Shit's Creek, and we have a great Shit's Creek contest. If you're a person who likes actual funny TV, sweet and heartwarming all the time, you know, go listen to uh, Shit's Creek. And you like heartwarming drama, go listen to This Is Us with Paul and Caroline. Yeah, so Pod Clubhouse got a lot of good stuff. Now that Avenue 5 is over, go give that stuff a listen. All right, thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.